0: Did you enjoy our worship time? Amen. Amen. Let's give our praise team a real appreciation for leading us in worship. We were uh, a couple weeks ago. Brent and I were in Pensacola, Florida. I don't know if I said much about this last Sunday, but uh, we got there for Wednesday night, and Jocelyn Duran filled in here Wednesday night. And I appreciated her doing that so much, and. Uh, we were there all day Thursday, all day Friday, and it was it was something else, just um, an avalanche of the glory of God just swept through that place, and um, we came away so refreshing, and this week we were, uh, I was at the uh, Men's Encounter in Choco de Jesus uh, Church in Chicago, has several thousand, just, uh, I'm kind of like, my battery is overcharged, I don't know what to do, but uh, I really was pressed to start this series on before and after, you know, back before Nanadar was here and uh, preached that Sunday. I was just so eager to preach that Sunday, but I was glad to have one of the most important pastors in India to visit our church, you know, and, and, and like within two weeks, uh, two or three weeks, we had two prominent leaders in the church in India, and God is doing phenomenal things. But I wanted to take this theme about before and after, Um, and um, if you go back to this area, the the classrooms over here on the right side of the hallway, and you go back toward the back hallway in that back area, you'll see all the way in the back a different room. It's got different flooring, it's got paint, and um, I think the Olías were very involved, the uh, Pedrums. Uh, the Burdines, what, what kind of flooring is that, Kara? Somebody asked me what it was, the flooring. You're the expert. No, yeah. Some Okay, I should have said that. Some kind of bottle flooring. Is like, it's like, it's floating. You don't have to glue it down or anything. Well, if somebody asked me that, I said, I don't know, but uh, Kara Burdine is the expert on that, so you can ask her. But... Uh, Could we just show all of them, I think Sloan was here, show all of them the appreciation for what they did, transform those rooms. We we were all so heavy hearted to watch the carpet leave, it was just, no, we were were doing a Jericho march about that. I'm going to take you to a passage in Luke, if you'll go ahead and turn there, Luke, Um, I was going to introduce it a little different. Probably the most recognized verse that is quoted by believers is John 3.16, right? Everybody, it seems like, that's been in church at all know that verse. Uh, And and why not? It is the center of God's plan to redeem us. But I wish we knew what Luke 3.16 said as much as we know what John 3.16 says. Because John 3.16 describes how we get to the Lord and in his salvation. Luke 3.16 and 17 tells us what should happen as a result of us coming to the Lord. It is as important to know that as it is John 3.16 because the Lord just doesn't save us to put us on a shelf somewhere somewhere as a trophy, he wants to use our lives. And the use of us in God's kingdom takes a radical dimension of his power. Anybody want to agree with that? Um, and the Lord just does some strange things. You know, I, I thought for a long time that he just dialed the wrong number. When I started hearing that he wanted me to go into ministry, I was like, Oh, I think, I think that somebody else is supposed to be getting this message. Because as a teenager, I had my own plans, what I wanted to do in my life, and those were not anywhere near God's plans. If you're there at Luke 3:16, follow this with me. John answered them, this is John Baptist. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork, if you're in the King James, is like his fan in his, in his hand. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's kind of interesting that John the Baptist is telling them this because... He was having so much success down at Jordan River. People were coming to him, and, you know, I've had the privilege to be in that area twice, back in the late 80s and again in 92. And this was before the West Bank was ceded over to the Palestinian control. So Jericho and all of that area down in that part of Israel is... Is a little bit different to travel now. Sometimes it's safe, sometimes it's not safe. Even Bethlehem is over in the West Bank. So there's a lot of tourists come in there now, and I really, I guess it depends on how things are, but we got to go down, and there's still not very much down there. Jericho is a very small place, mostly citrus trees and date palms, and you can buy a lot of good fruit down there, but there's not hardly anything down there. It's just kind of barren. And think about this here's a guy. He really looks, he looks awesome. He's dressed up in camel hair clothing. That's got to be pretty. And he's, his diet is just, he is a, a phenomenon to look at. And he's not preaching a really nice message. He's not telling people that God really loves you and he just wants to do great things in your life. He's, he's hammering the people why did you come down here to get baptized without any evidence of repenting? Don't you come down here and ask me to baptize you unless you show proof that you're serious. That's the way to grow a church today. You let people have it right between the eyes. And yet, they're, they're making this long walk to this barren area to look at a muddy river. Jordan River is, at that point, is as muddy as you can get. Up at the head part of the river, right below the Sea of Galilee, it is just perfect. It's a great place to have a baptism. And that's where everybody baptizes in the Jordan River. If you, if you want to get baptized in Jordan River, well, you better do it at the head of the river, not down here. Because up at the head of it is really pretty. But here's these people coming, and they're, this is a muddy river, and they're submitting themselves to being baptized. And they're listening to this man just really laid on the line. Now, I want to tell you something. They would not do that except God was moving on those people's hearts. God was doing something through John the Baptist. He was anointed of God. People were going out to where he was, and he was baptizing them. And among them were tax collectors. This was the most despised group of people that they had back then. And you had soldiers even coming in the midst of all these people. And they were so moved. They would say, well, what do you think we should do? And he told the tax collectors, stop stealing from people, and the ones you have stolen from them, give it back what you stole from them. And the soldiers, what do you what do you think we should do? Well, stop framing people for crimes they didn't commit. And he gives them the, the means of repentance. If you're really sorry about what you've been doing as a soldier, repent of that, get down in this water. And he was so effective. If you look at verse 15 right before this, There was rumors going around in the midst of the people. Boy, look at the people coming out to hear this guy preach. Could it be that he's the Messiah? Could it be that guy? Look at the effect he's having on these people. Could it be that he's... In in the very next words that you read that Luke recorded, John responded to them by saying this. I indeed baptize you with water. I'm here to baptize you in the water. But someone's coming, mightier than I, stronger than I, and I'm not even deserving to kneel down and untie his sandals. He's not going to baptize you with the way that I baptize. He's going to baptize you in a different way. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Is that what it says? That's how he's going to baptize you. And then he gives an illustration of what kind of baptism that's going to look like. He goes to a, something that all of them would know because most of these people had to raise their own food. I don't know about you. I grew up in Harpersville. We, we raised everything we ate. We even raised our own cattle and pigs. We was like, hallelujah. It was work. That's why Daddy had six kids so that he could do all that farming. You know, we raised, and they knew that there was a way to get wheat when you harvested wheat. And he uses that analogy right there, that Jesus has a, his baptism is going to include a winnowing fork. It's going to be in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn. It's all his. It's his threshing floor. It's his work. It's his barn. It's his wheat. But he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And if you're making any notes, this is the first thing I'm going to share with you about this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And you ought to to just ask mentally, have I been baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire? Can I discern fire in my life like this? If this is the way Jesus is going to immerse people who believe on Him and trust in Him, have I really experienced something like that? Is that okay for us to ask ourselves that? Have I, If this is the baptism he brings, how much of that baptism have I experienced? Fire, a baptism in the Holy Spirit and a baptism that includes fire. It's not two different baptism. It's the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit going through our lives. This is a definite work of Christ, and that fire is to do what? What do you think the, the main purpose of that fire is to do? It's to burn the chaff. It's a purifying fire. Is, the wheat is what you're trying to get. This is what you can use. This is what is beneficial. He says the baptism he's going to bring, is gonna, he's going to bring that that's beneficial to you, but there's going to be a separating of your life. He's going to separate the things that are beneficial to you, but the things that are impediments to you, he wants to burn that up. His baptism will be a baptism of setting you apart and separating you from stuff that inhibits what he wants to do in your life. Another place, you know, John, if you go to uh, the book of Ruth, this is a, a great romance story. Ruth really seals the deal with Boaz at a threshing floor. You know, Naomi's strategizing how to get Boaz and her together. And you know, if you've got two women strategizing against you, you're, you don't have a chance. And this is what Naomi said to Ruth. "says listen, Boaz is going to be going down at night tonight to winnow his barley, just like this. He's going down there to take care of a barley harvest And the reason he was probably going there at night, at at the heat of the day, when they harvested, usually there was no wind. There was no breeze. And to do this, you had to have breeze. You had to have wind. Because they would throw that grain up in the air and they had to have enough breeze that the chaff would be blown. The grain is heavier than the chaff. The grain would fall straight down and the stalk's area would blow off to the side and the chaff would blow even further away. And she says, you go down there, and you don't let him know that you're there. He's working. He's getting that barley winnowed out. He's going to finish with a meal. He's going to drink, and he's going to lay down and go to sleep, and that's when we're going to nail him. You just put the covering over you at his feet, and and that's like saying, you have to marry me now, buddy. But everybody, everybody hearing John the Baptist talk about those two different baptisms knew exactly what he was talking about. His winnowing fork, his fan is in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He said, I baptize you with water. That's a little bit easier for you to submit yourself, to walk down into waist-deep water. Even though it's muddy water, it's not going to be but a few seconds that you're under the water and you come back up. He said, that's what I use. I just use water. That is not nearly as frightening as what he's going to do in your life. He's going to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit and a baptism with fire involved in that immersion. This is a different baptism. In John's word, this baptism has a purpose and it illustrates that they would understand that God is going to burn things away from their lives. His winnowing fork, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. The wheat stalks had to be threshed. There had to be some kind of compaction for the stalks to be kind of beat down so that he could get rid of the stalks and then he had to throw the grain up to get rid of the chaff. John said Christ Jesus would, would uh, immerse you in a fiery baptism of the Holy Spirit that would separate the wheat, the good, and to separate the fire. The fire is a separating fire, and it's a fire of purifying. The wind revealed. Isn't it interesting? On the day of Pentecost, what do you have going on there? What is the first thing they record in Acts 2? The sound of wind. Isn't it interesting that the elements that he said would be part of Christ's baptism would have wind, necessity of wind. Pneuma is another word for spirit. It's wind. It's the same thing that wind sometimes is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And there was a sound of a mighty wind. And what else happened there visually? Fire appeared on every one of them. All 120 people. Nobody was left out. This was not the, the majority of the people heard wind and the majority of the people saw fire. No, these cloven, these separated tongues of fire came and landed on both, on all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. But it's the fire that came in and released all of that. Is there any evidence of that narrative that purified that group that morning? Do you see any evidence that before that happened and after that happened, something was different? Now, I kind of zeroed in on Peter last week. But you have to look and say, well, yeah, Peter's, Peter's preaching was ablaze with the fire of God. He, he was anointed of the Lord through that immersion of spirit and fire, and what he was declaring separated the people out in the streets. There was a separation of people in the streets. There's some people who's going to believe, and some people that's not going to believe. And there was 3,000 people that responded to the move of the Holy Spirit, and they were asking him the same thing John the Baptist had people ask him, what do, you, what do you think we should do? What do you want us to do? And what did he, he goes back to that familiar refrain? You need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you can, and you'll be in. You'll make an entrance into this dynamic. Repent, every one of you. Whatever the problems are in your life, whatever is holding you back in your mind, whatever secret sins that may be there, you wish you could get rid of them, but it just seems like you have available to you a baptism of fire that burns away the chaff, that does away with that, that inhibits you. There's a lot of things that people want to do in their lives, but just feel like they're, they're shackled because of problems they have or habits they have. And the good news for you is that there's a baptism for you that has fire that will purify your life. It's not by your determination. You know, we, 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 we're we so much into self-help, we think that we can do it. That we can just make our lives exactly what the Lord wants them to be. And I want to tell you, that is impossible. Because what He wants you to be is a lot better than what we can make ourselves be. We can't do it on our own. The fire will burn up stuff in your life that shouldn't be there. The Great Welch Revival, it's a great study. In about eight months, entire communities in Wales were swept into the kingdom of God. And some of the most notorious people in those communities were the coal miners. And in fact, there were so many people getting saved, whole communities, they didn't even have any cases to come before the judge for months. And the police directed traffic around those places because there was nobody else to arrest. Isn't that something? You got arrested for breaking line at church. I don't think they were. But it was just, it was such a move of God. And it, and it was reported that though coal miners that were getting saved That they had to teach the pack animals different commands. Because they used profanity so much with those animals, they responded to those, that profanity. So they had to come up with, they had to retrain the animals. Now, I'm telling you, that's a baptism of fire there. (laughs) When you, when people, you don't have to tell people, well, you shouldn't talk like that. It's just like it changes. The fire burns all that away. Do you think we need a new baptism of fire in our lives to burn away stuff, to clean up our speech, to clean up our habits, to clean up how we respond to people? Do you think we need a baptism of fire to purify us today? The fire of God, it's a purifying presence of God. You know, God asked Jeremiah one time, says, is not my word like fire? Is not my word like fire? But we have accommodated ourselves to our culture to where we're in as much need of a baptism of fire as ever. We have accommodated stuff that we wouldn't even let a three-year-old sit down with us and watch on television. We wait for the kids to go to bed. We have high school bands. I want to tell you something. It'd be nice if they just brought back the Charleston. than um, all the gyrations that you see, you know. Well, you know. The fire of God is a consuming fire. And if we're not careful, we're going to be pulled into a culture of chaff instead of a culture of wheat, of that that remains in our lives that's good, that God can use. Have you asked him, Lord, I really want to be immersed in this kind of baptism. In fact, I think that passage, you know, present yourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. Present your, what, bodies, these. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. You know, some people ask if I've been doing a diet or something because I lost a little bit of weight. No, I should do exercise, but... But I read a book that kind of convicted me about my own stewardship of this. And I, and I told her, I says, I'm going to be a better steward because this is all I've got to offer you. And if I don't take better care of this, then I'm cheating you. And if I don't take care of better this, I'm cheating God. I should be able to be the best I can be for God. I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to do better. I'm going to treat my, the stewardship of my body and, and and it's a clear passage in, in the Bible that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Am I wrong or right on that? Does it not say that our bodies, the, this this here, not your spirit is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In your body, this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. What are we doing with this? I've, I've, I've told her I've been under more conviction over the last couple of months than I, I can remember. About everything, about everything everything about my life. And, and I want to be immersed in this fire baptism. I want him to find the chaff and to burn it out. No matter what it is, no matter whatever change he wants, give him permission. I'm, I'm telling you today, I wish this, before this day is over that you verbally, audibly say to him, Lord, I present this body as a sacrifice to you immerse me in your spirit and immerse me in your fire, burn the chaff out of my life, chaff that I don't even know I have in my life, I give you permission to immerse me in that kind of baptism. And I guarantee you that if that happens, everything about you will change. You you, You will not be able to do the same thing all the time. You'll be doing something different. You know I, I might have spent too much time on that let me go to oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm doing good I just saw the clock back there here's the second thing and I've inverted the order if, you, if you've got that handout fire is a source of illumination now before the light bulb came along fire was a way you could have light in a room it might have been an oil lamp a kerosene lamp and. Aren't you glad you're living on this side of the discovery of electricity? Amen. And uh, I, I can tell you that I've I am associated a little bit, I'm not really all that old, but I will tell you the first little church we were part of that I remember had outdoor plumbing and an outhouse down in Vincent, Alabama. And that was a wonderful experience to, to take place. But the, the whole the, the things that we have today that we're so appreciative of light that's not how they had light. Fire was also a source of illumination. It gave radiance to a room. In in Sun Tzu class, the, the teacher in Daniel talked about the menorah. The menorah was a seven pronged candlestick in the holy place, and it was it was always burning. It had to it had to continue to have oil. It was never to go out because it was what lit up that room so that they could tend to the show bread and tend to the altar of incense. It was, they went in that room every day. They only, went, only one person went past that into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, but that activity in the holy place was every day. And there, there was that menorah that was the light of the room. I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is like an inward menorah in your life to blaze with illumination so that we can say, Lord, I see, I see what is going on. I understand what is going on. It's getting through to me. I get it. Have you had those moments? I get it. You know, when God led Israel out of Egypt, their GPS was during the day was a pillar of cloud by day, and their GPS at night was a pillar of fire. That was how they knew which way to go. That fire lit up the path for them. And this is what they knew. They they were going with God's GPS. Now we have LED lighting. We just don't have lighting. We have LED lighting. You know what's coming next, don't you? Does anyone know what LED stands for besides the people I talked to before service? You want to take a stab at it? Look at that. I wish I had a prize for you guys. Light emitting diode. How many knew that? Well, man, that was no fun. Y'all knew that. I was like, I wasn't prepared for people to actually know that. A diode electrical component with two terminals which conduct electricity only in one direction with electrical current the diode emits a bright light around the small bulb there you have it it's brighter than any light it lasts longer than any light and when people get those they love them they even put them in bright denny so there you have it that's illumination we have ways of making lights brighter we have but do we have ways of making our life more illumined? We do. It's through the Holy Spirit. You know, as you can we and I, you and I can't see the glory of God and live. That's why Don Potter was kind of interested. As we, uh, we talk about seek the face of God. He said, I always thought if you saw the face of God, you'd die. But he's talking about whatever part of the face of God he can show us, a veiled. And even Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. I want to. He said, well, you can't see me and live. But I'll shield myself enough for you to see a shielded of my backside. And you're not even able to have to see that without a shield. Because it says he put his hand over Moses' eyes when he passed by. But Moses wanted to see him. You know what the effect on Moses was? He didn't get to see him. It just passed by him, and Moses was lit up like a light that nobody could look at. They had to put a hood over him just because he he was that close to the glory of God. God wants to illuminate your life with this fire of the Holy Spirit. He wants to, I just would love to see us all come to a place where we're like, oh, Lord, I get it. I, I get it. Here's the last thing. Fire is also a source of power. And the praise team can come on up. Controlled fire is great. Uncontrolled fire is terrible. It's amazing how many of these wildfires take place that just, they can't stop it. And one of the reasons they can't stop it when some of these happen is what? no it's, no it's not that we got somebody threw a cigarette down and it lit up the, uh, no no what causes a a wildfire to get out of control one element wind fire in and of itself is a good thing it can be a powerful thing but when it's out of control the wind is the worst thing that's it's so destructive just 4 days ago we had this anniversary of what happened on 9/11 and if you ever got to be a, a chance to get into New York City and visit New York City before the World Trade Center towers went down, that was an impressive landscape. I mean, the Empire State Building is impressive. But those two towers was just like, wow, they, they really built something this big. I mean, you, if, if you've never been, you just couldn't fathom something being that big. And I think when those two airliners Slammed into those towers. I don't think anybody thought that that massive of a building would have ever came down. That they would get the fire out somehow and and then just be damaged. But that fire was so hot it melted conc- still reinforced concrete to where the the weight of the building above the fire was not sustainable and down the whole building came uncontrolled fire so destructive i love going to new york city i still love going there try to go to times square church in brooklyn tab but i just love the place love the museums love going out to ellis island and i think kelly and i one of the things you know we, we we've been there as a family a couple of times and Look, Brenda, she's so sweet and nice. And you can't beat that in New York City. It just doesn't fit in New York City. When you go to get on the subway, you, you just shove people. And those New York City people, they want you to shove them. That's, that's, that's the oddity. They like it. So Kelly and I, we're shoving. I said, Brenda, you got to shove. They like it. I don't understand them, but it's kind of like, yeah, we get to like push them. But we were there just a year or so after all that happened and, and there's Times Square Church. They didn't lose one single person in their church and they had numerous people that worked in those buildings. One lady got fired for something she didn't even know. They didn't even tell her why. A couple of days before all that happened, she was given a pink slip. That's a pretty good pink slip some of them got sick some of them were delayed it was like i asked one when i asked one of the ladies in the you know they had a welcoming center and i says how many people in, in times square church was lost to that fire says we didn't lose anyone but a month before it happened pastor wilkerson says we're going to suspend all of our regular services i just feel like this church needs to fast and pray that god has put a warning in my heart he, he didn't he didn't get what. He's just, I just feel like we just suspend all of our schedule and we're going to have a, we're going to start seeking God. And they were in the middle of that month long seeking God when all those people had something go wrong that day before they got in to work that day. But when you have controlled fire and the Holy Spirit is controlled fire, look out. It's kind of like that Saturn V rocket. That lift off in the summer of 1969, and I can't even begin to describe to you how many pounds of fuel liquid oxygen, kerosene yes, they used kerosene, a mixture of both in that first stage to get that rocket up in the air in three stages to put them on the moon and have enough source to get them back. When the fire of God, listen, there's some of you in this room, you don't think you can do hardly anything for God. And the reason you think that is you're looking at yourself instead of looking at Him. And you're considering what you feel like your talents are and the talents that you don't have. And you say, well, the Lord will never call me to do that because He knows I'm not gifted in that. Well, that's what He really loves. And by the way, don't tell him that you'll never go to Africa. But you can tell him with complete confidence, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, here's my life. You got any chaff that needs to be burned up? Maybe some of that chaff is just your excuses. Lord, I can't do that. I can't witness to my neighbor. Sure you can, through the power of God. Would you stand with me? I just like, you know, nobody has to tell us, usually. Nobody has to tell us where we're messing up. Because we know that we have this voice, this Voice of the Holy Spirit saying, You're not supposed to be doing that. You're not supposed to be doing that. And we can just keep going. But this morning is a chance for you to say, okay, Lord, you give me fire in my life to burn this chaff up. This is your promise. While you're standing right where you're at, can you just lift your hands? and say, I want the baptism that John Baptist said that you would give. I want spirit, Holy Spirit, fire-induced baptism that will separate stuff in my life, that would identify the chaff, that holds me back, that keeps me from doing the purpose and will of God. I'm telling you, we haven't even scratched the surface of what God wants to do in our lives. Why don't you just give him absolute permission to take control of your life and uh, not just illuminate you but empower you with his fire that propels you into an orbit of service that you can never put yourself in to shift you from this place of struggle where you're at you know, pastor I don't think I can do anything of significance that's not the voice of God The voice of God is telling you if you surrender yourself to him, watch what he does in your life. If you can just surrender yourself right now, lift your hands and say, God, I don't want to run my life. I don't want to be in charge of my life. I want you to empower me so that you, through me, are leading me. In Jesus' name, Lord, you're looking for people who will fully surrender themselves to you. I surrender myself to you, Lord, to serve you, to serve my wife, to serve my family, to serve others, but more than anything, Lord, to serve you, to serve your purpose with what days that you give us to live. Every one of those days, Lord, we want you to have them. We want you to use us. Would you just surprise us this week, the doors that you open for us? At a workplace, in a shopping center, just a chance encounter with someone—that's really not a chance—it's been ordained by you. I pray for deliverance for those who are have are battling addictions, a, a battling moral issues, to heal, to heal where they've incurred wounds, to restore to restore their, their souls that they can one day give a marital vow to a spouse that they are freshly ready to be joined to, that all of the stuff that's happened in their life will be washed away and burned away by the fire of the Holy Spirit, that you would cauterize all of those open wounds, Lord. And maybe there's someone in this room. You need a wound in your life to be cauterized by the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, to seal that off and that it doesn't haunt you anymore. It doesn't shackle you anymore. It heals you. The wheat will be gathered out of your life and presented to him something that he can use. Give him that opportunity. Hallelujah. Lord, we repent of our ways, we repent of our decisions, we repent of making choices that we should know better. But today we really take a step toward you and say, Immerses in your spirit, immerses in your fire. We want to see something that tells us that fire has touched our lives that's touched our bodies, that's brought healing to us, Lord. That in our homes, there's a different temperament. That in our marriages and in our interaction with our children, there's something different, there's something more profound. There's the element of the Holy Spirit being more involved in how we parent our children, how we express our support to our spouse, Lord. How we look upon life, how we look upon our relationships, trust the lord with your relationships trust the lord if if you're not sure where you're at and god's purpose tell him ask him show me the way lord show me the way shut the door if this is not the door you want for me shut that door close that door give him permission to do that give him permission to reorient your compass your gps that you're no longer looking at a beacon that you've created, but you're looking for His light. Do away with your own beacons. Do away with your... Just put your plans to the side and say, God, what do you want? What do you want with my life? Because wherever you want me, that's where I need to be. Thank you, Lord.